Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. This is episode number 547. And this week, while we're celebrating Pi Week, we'll call it, but Pi Day was Wednesday. And so we're celebrating by showing you some of the cool projects that you can do with a Raspberry Pi. We've also got a huge announcement from the Raspberry Pi Foundation. (laughs) You want to stick around if you're a Pi fan or if you're just thinking, hey, maybe, maybe I want to buy a Raspberry Pi. Stick around. We've got some news for you. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Our live recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. I'm Jeff Weston. I'm Robbie. Nice to see you, folks. Hope you're having a great week. Lots of exciting things today. Oh, it's very exciting. Indeed. Oh, yeah. I mean, we know what's coming up. But we're not telling you. It's a surprise. It's true. So how was your week? My week has been amazing so far. Yeah? Have you recovered from Friday night? Uh, I, I believe I have recovered from Friday <laughs> night. Uh, truth be told, I, I've kind of caught the bug. I find oh, yes? my, I find myself sitting in front of Discord waiting for a rain dance. <laughs> for those of you who aren't aware, um, completely separate from Category Five Technology TV, Jeff and I were here in the studio and we were participating in what was called uh, a Turtle Typhoon. And mm-hmm. what that is is Turtle Coin, uh, which we've shown on the show here, uh, a cryptocurrency that's on the up and up. Yes, and uh, we had a lot of fun. I mean, there it was, was a blast. There was over was it over a million. Turtle coins. Uh, was it even more than that? I think it got close to two million, if I remember correctly. Unreal. So yeah. the, given away, absolutely free to the participants in the in the Discord. So it was a lot of fun. Now, again, not not directly associated with Category Five, but if you are interested in that, I did post the video on our YouTube channel, um, so you can go check that out if you want to learn more about cryptocurrency, um, turtle coin in particular. Which we uh, happened to cover to a lot on last week's episode. Yeah, exactly. So we talked about it from our perspective here at the studio, but then mm. to actually see it in action is what was happening on so Friday much night. Fun. So long night. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, exciting news for you. And you. And me. I love your wonderful sweater. Thank you. I basically photocopied the uh, the wall and stuck it on my chest. <laughs> now, that's not the exciting news. The exciting news is, news is that for a limited time, we do have some apparel. So check Ooh. out cat5.tv slash shirts. Just like that. That's a way that uh, you can support the shows that you love here at Category 5. Um, at, that, uh, at that website, it's a Teespring campaign. And basically how that works is folks like you who love the show and want to support us but also want to don awesome apparel um, you can get on there and you can purchase uh, a shirt a, a t-shirt or a sweatshirt and uh, and you'll be supporting category 5 tv you'll be supporting what we do here mm-hmm. and it's a limited time run it's a chance for you to get some uh, some merch which we don't always do no, like there's not always yeah it has uh, i can't believe our last shirt campaign with teespring 
2014. Oh my goodness! I know. I don't even think I was on the show then. It's ba- it's 2037 now as we broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a like long it, it's yeah. been a long time, folks. So you know if you if you wonder how limited edition is this stuff, well, it, you could be looking four years in the future That's if you miss right. it. Um, but um, yeah, this shirt comes from there. Um, so I got this during the t- 2014 run. You can see it obviously has um, has continued. Yeah, to like it hasn't faded. It hasn't it's held up. Gone all nasty. And the sweaters, I was I was noticing um, on the Teespring campaign, the the sweatshirts are relatively expensive. And I and I started looking around, and I realized that they're actually cheaper than going into the stores. Our our friend Heather oh, really? Bailey Brown showed me um, some local stores that are selling sweatshirts, and it's unbelievable how much it costs to buy a sweatshirt. Oh, it's wild. So, but these ones are nice and thick and warm. These are like campfire sweatshirts. Yes. See that. Comfy coats, hoodies. I should wear the hoodie all night long. Why do I feel like there's a wrap coming? Oh, wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> if only I was prepared. But head on over to cat5.tv slash shirts, and you can support that campaign, be a part of it. And incidentally, if you send us a picture of yourself or a loved one or whoever that you've purchased it for, um, if you send a picture of, of y'all wearing our T-shirts uh, or whatever it is that you buy, um, then we will post it on the show. We will give you a shout-out live yeah. on the air. Your 10 seconds of fame. Good times. There you go. Good times. All right. So we have also been giving away a copy of Dead Effect 2 VR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing that for a while. We still have copies to, to give out. So Unbelievable. Hey? I know. Good on them for sending out all these free copies for you oh, guys. Was, they, they hooked us up huge. So You che- don't want to miss out. So check it out. It's really, really easy to do. You load up your email, whatever you use. Push the email button. That's right. And then you want to send us an email with how you're watching Category 5. What's, what's your system? Like, are you watching it on Roku? Are you doing it on YouTube? Uh, is it your Cody? How do you watch this show? Maybe you're on TV and you're, and you're watching us through your cable network. Let us know, and we'll put you in for winning Dead Effect 2 VR. I'm picturing a projector oh, yeah. pointed at the clouds with Category 5 up on the clouds. So like the bats and Maybe that's how you're watching. Maybe I, that's how you're watching. I like that. Just... Category 5, right there in the clouds. And every time that's called, we answer a tech question. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, We would never out. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> don't miss out on that. So it goes to ca- contest at category5.tv. That's the email address you want to send it to. Nice and simple. Yeah. We've got to take a really quick break. It is, uh, well, this week we're celebrating Pi Day. Yes. We're going to call it. We're going to tell you what that's all about. And we've got some exciting news from the Raspberry Pi Foundation coming right up. Don't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Jeff Weston. Yaman. You're building a brand new beautiful website. What? Aren't you? No. Am I? Oh, you're a terrible actor. What? This is where acting comes into play. Oh, I didn't know we were acting. You're supposed to act. Okay, fair enough. All right. yeah, I'm building a really cool website. Are you building a really cool website? 
Just because Jeff is confused doesn't mean you have to be. Visit cat5.tv slash dreamhost to sign up for unlimited web hosting for your website with unlimited email accounts, MySQL databases, the latest version of PHP, WordPress, and more, and even a free domain name registration. It's less than $6 per month, so sign up today. cat5.tv slash dreamhost. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV. So glad to have you here joining us. An exciting, exciting episode. Uh, it's a great week. We I love the Raspberry Pi, don't we? We do. And I, every year I look forward to this week because it's got Pi Day. Well, what happens when Pi Day falls on a Wednesday? <laughs> We've got to feature it. Now, of course, this week is the celebration of Pi Day, which yes. if you're not familiar with that, uh, Wednesday was... Uh, March 14th, right? which is 3.14 in the geeky system. Yes. So 3.14, it's like, uh, may the 4th be with you, you know, we've, we've kind of thing. Us, uh, geekdom has claimed days for its own, and 3.14 is one of those. So this week we celebrate Pi Day. Yes. And if you don't know what Pi is... Uh, mm. it's, it's a mathematical equation. A delicious circle. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but it is a number that does not end. It's a mathematical equation that is... A, and I was the reading... The song just got stuck in my head, Jeff. Thank you for that. Oh, yes. Good Lamb times. chops. Yes. Oh, <laughs> see, that's going to be stuck in my head, too. Oh! You are horrible. What have you done? All right. Uh, Why didn't you just say 3.14? No, I, I was reading this week that uh, Pi is now up to 22 trillion characters long. Are they still hashing this They're thing? still hashing it out. Oh, man. 22 trillion characters long, and they, they still have not They need to gone. get the hash power of the cryptocurrency network. Yes! Get the block blockchain working on figuring out pi and see when this crazy thing will ever end where do you even store that long of a number i have no clue but i, I was i was reading it going if they ever get to the end of pi the world is probably going to crash because people are going to just be like, the, it's going to ruin everything they know it. everything yeah. will just fail that's right uh, but Pi, in the respect that we're discussing it tonight, has to do with the Raspberry Pi, uh, yes. the microcomputer that fits in the palm of your hand. And we've got an announcement for you this week being Pi Day week, we're going to call it, because we don't know when you're watching this, whether it be this week or next or whatever. But the week that we are broadcasting is Pi Week. Mm -hmm. There you go. And the Raspberry Pi Foundation has chosen this week to divulge the Pi 3 Model B+. Plus. <gasps> so mm. could we say that this is going to be a Pi 3 killer? I think we can safely say that now we finally have an undisputed Pi 3 killer. Well, yeah. That even the Raspberry Pi fan base cannot disagree with us, can't hate on us, and can't give us the thumbs down. So, hey, you see that button down there? Give us a thumbs up. That's how it goes. So what makes it so special? Well, first of all, we've been waiting for um, a more powerful Raspberry Pi yes. microcomputer. Now, 1.4 gigahertz, 64-bit. Um, processor now mm -hmm. um, at, at 1.4 it was previously 1.2 so what happens is it's going to run at 1.4 gigahertz and then as it gets hot it's going to downscale to 1.2 so okay the the, the throttled um, cpu is as fast as the fastest 
the CPU would ever be on a on a previous generation Raspberry right. Pi three. Okay. A couple of other key points here with the Raspberry Pi three model B plus one, and this is probably I should save the best for last, but I got I got to tell you. Gigabit Ethernet. Yes. Finally, we've got Gigabit Ethernet. It's like so we good. have we have stepped into 1997 here, folks, <laughs> with our pocket-sized computers. With Gigabit Ethernet, now all of a sudden we've been talking about things like Plex Pi, which we're going to bring up tonight, mm-hmm. um, and streaming video over our uh, network. And some people have said, "Well, I've been trying to use Plex Pi with the Wi-Fi in the Raspberry Pi. Why isn't it working?" Don't even go there, okay? Because the Wi-Fi on these things traditionally sucks. Yes. And and even if it was great Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi, just the, the standard itself, is too slow for what you want Plex Pi to be able to do. That's right. So you plug in an Ethernet cable. But the Raspberry Pi 3 and previous generations were only 100 megabits per second. Mm-hmm. So now you throw a gigabit, which is 1,000 megabits per second in there, and you've got... A lot of speed. Well, technically, it's about three times the speed. Yeah. I don't know how that math happens. <laughs> I think because you don't truly get a thousand megabits That's a, sec- right. a yeah. second, but um, so you're going to get at least th- like three times the speed out of the Ethernet. So when you plug in your Plex Pi server, whatever it is you're doing with your Raspberry Pi three, the B plus is going to give you much better performance. Mm-hmm. That I'm excited about. Now they've also up- improved the Wi-Fi on it. I do. They believe. have. They've gone yes. to five G. Five G. So you're looking much nice. faster Wi-Fi. Um, I'm not sure how this is going to play out because uh, with my Raspberry Pi 3, I uh, I don't know that speed is the issue versus reception. Right. I have trouble getting a good solid Wi-Fi connection that doesn't drop. Yes. Yeah. And I'm very, very close to the router, so I don't like that. So with 5G, um, traditionally anyways, uh, you're going to get less coverage. That's correct. But better speed. Mm-hmm. So how is this going to impact performance? I can't really be sure yet until we've got our hands on one, and then we can take a look and mm-hmm. give it a try. But theoretically, we're going to get better speed out of the Wi-Fi as well. Yes. Now, the exciting thing about this is even though that they've announced it this week, it's probably going to take a little bit before we start seeing it. For purchase. Yeah, well, it is available to buy, right. technically, but I think stock is going, yeah, traditionally with Raspberry Pi, it is, uh, and, and maybe this is a good chance to remind those who were hating on the Odroid when, <laughs> when they were sold out and then they brought new stock to Amazon and then they sold out again. Um, when, when a new Raspberry Pi comes out, they've got to manufacture all these Absolutely. boards and they've got to get them into the stores. They've got to get them available on the various Amazons. And so they are available technically, but you're probably not going to actually have access to them for a little while. We'll see mm. kind of how that plays out. If you do get your hands on one, though, uh, within the next couple of weeks, you are one of the, the lucky few. And uh, we want to hear all about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are we talking about Pi? Should I take a look at the Raspberry Pi 3 B plus sure. website. So sure, okay. you head on over to raspberrypi.org and we're going to do a lot of stuff on our on our computer here tonight. Uh, the Raspberry so one of the key things with the B plus is that they are intending to sell it for the same price as the B, the Raspberry Pi 3. Wow. So now they say $35. We live here in Canada. I wish that we could get that kind of a deal. <laughs> y- y'all Americans are saving some money. Uh, we pay a fair bit more than that up here. Yes. So we talked about Oh, and it looks like we've got uh, 802.11a and c. That's good. Bluetooth 4.2. Oh, beautiful. Um, so we may have um, good, uh, good Wi-Fi after all. That's good. 
Here's another exciting thing. Power over Ethernet. That's something that Raspberry Pi has been lacking. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, Power over Ethernet means you don't have to have separate power. You can actually power the device from your router. Yes. So you plug in the Ethernet cable and it will get its power from the Ethernet. Now, there's a caveat. Okay. One, power over Ethernet is not yet available. It is coming soon for the Pi 3B+. Two... It requires a separate hat, which is an accessory component that you add to the board. So there's probably some cost involved in that. Uh, and three, that board requires non-passive cooling. So you're looking at adding a moving fan to your Raspberry Pi rig. So it's, right. not, it's no longer going to fit into the Raspberry Pi case. I'm sure cases are going to come out with the hat in mind. But you do have to buy that separately, and it's not currently available. So that said, I wanted to draw your attention to something that I've been looking at, and I actually ordered yesterday, oh. not knowing that this was coming out. Um, when I look at NEMS, Nagios Enterprise Management uh, Monitoring Server, uh, mm -hmm. which is nemslinux.com, I was looking for a, an ability to do um, power over Ethernet, so I don't have to have separate power. And there is, in fact, this $10 dongle that you can get for your Raspberry Pi. Oh. And it turns power over Ethernet into Ethernet and 5 volt. And this is 2.4 amp. So you've got more than enough power here to power a Raspberry Pi, or in the screenshots that shows it running their Raspberry Pi with the uh, with the screen, and so power over Ethernet is in fact available for the older generation Raspberry Pis. Oh, that's awesome! And it's super cheap, ten dollars and eighty nine cents U.S. So I picked up one of those. It's on its way, and I'll nice. have that soon. So you may not have to buy that Raspberry Pi hat with the fan and everything else. This is 2.4 amp. I believe the Raspberry Pi 3B Plus is going to require 2.5, so I'm not sure if this adapter, I'm not sure yet if this adapter will um, support the, the B Plus. Time will tell as we get those in and start doing some testing. Right. Okay. So power over Ethernet is definitely something that's going to be helpful, especially if you're using Raspberry Pis in a server environment, server rooms, like if you're using NEMS Linux, for example, um, that's fantastic. Um, if you're using it for any, anything like PlexPi is, is another example where, hey, you just, it just cuts down on the cable clutter, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, what else have we got? Oh, goodness. I'm just looking over the list here, folks. USB mass storage booting. So that means we no longer have to hack up the SD card to boot from the SD card and then from the USB drive. Um, you'll be able to boot directly from a USB drive. Which, so, which is very nice. Very nice indeed because uh, like the SD cards are not very reliable. If, if your Raspberry Pi server system ever fails, it's most likely the, the SD card that's going to be the one that failed. Yes. So by taking that off of there, now I'd like to see if you can boot without an SD card. Oh, well, that would be, be brilliant. So that's a great upgrade. Um, it's got improved thermal management. It's uh, overclockable. And finally, we're starting to see some thermal management uh, on the Raspberry Pi 3. The, the original three didn't really have a lot of settings, so right. I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Raspi Config introduces for this particular board. So all in all, a great step up for uh, Raspberry Pi users, something that we can upgrade to. Of course, everything is still backward compatible, so as new software comes out and everything, you don't have to rush out and buy the latest and greatest, but if you want those extra features or because the price is still the same, it's great price. theoretically, right? then you, uh, you can buy the upgraded version next time you go around. I mean, I, I, I have Raspberry Pis all around me. <laughs> I've got 
three or four of them hooked up at home at all times. I've yep. got extras that I have laying around that I use for various projects and everything else. So, um, But I'm excited mostly, I think, about the gigabit Ethernet yes, on that particular be board. Very, That's going to be great. Very wonderful. Uh, did we talk about availability? Yes, we did. Okay. Yes. So. Yep. As we celebrate uh, <laughs> Pi Day this week, uh, I wanted to kind of go over some of the project ideas that we've had and some of the, uh, the things that you can do with this little itty-bitty microcomputer. Okay. Because the, the projects that you can do with this are endless. Oh, yeah. And that's why it has such a following. That's why it's such an exciting project, uh, the Raspberry Pi project itself, and why so many people are on, on that bandwagon and why so many people uh, have them. First of all, episodes 544 and 545 of Category 5 Technology TV. You know those ones because it just happened um, two weeks ago and the week before that. Uh, we talked about PlexPi. Yes. PlexPi allows you to turn your Raspberry Pi 3 into a Plex media server. And by doing that, you're able to stream your media. And again, if you can put a, a gigabit Ethernet in there, you're going to get better performance out of that altogether. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to see uh, how that goes. And PlexPi has been doing very, very well since oh, we introduced it. I love PlexPi. Head on over to our website. It's category5.tv. And I'd like to show you um, a couple of features here that are going to be helpful for you. If you hit search and just type in Raspberry Pi, you're going to get a list of all the episodes where we have thought to notate it as pertaining to the Raspberry Pi. Okay? So you can find all that. Now, if you're looking wow, for... we've covered it a lot. Oh, yeah. We've covered <laughs> a lot. There's four pages of it. Um, so there's certainly a lot of content with regards to Raspberry Pi, uh, but I'm talking about uh, episodes 544 and 545. So what you do is you can go to Shows, Category 5 Technology TV, Full Episodes, and you need to find the season. I know that those ones are in Season 11. Um, so you just kind of scroll down, and it says Episode 545. So that is one of the episodes that we're recommending that you check out, using PlexPi as a personal media server. The one before that is Episode 544, Plex on a Raspberry Pi 3. So I'm going to show you a little hack here to save you having to try to find episodes on our website because as we tell you about these projects, some of them may make you go, oh, I'd love to try that on my Raspberry Pi, mm -hmm. but then you've got to go through 11 seasons worth of video to try to find it. No, yeah. I'm, going to, I'm going to make it a little simpler. Obviously, you can use the search tool, but if you click on any one of our videos... And this is, remember, I'm looking at Category 5 Technology TV, so not one of the other shows. Okay? And what you'll notice is that up in the address bar, we're at category5.tv slash shows slash technology slash episode slash 545. So if I change that number, 545, to any other number, it's going to play that episode instead. Okay. Okay? So as I mentioned these episodes, you can use that knowledge in order to kind of skip there really quick. Nagios. Do tell. Nagios Enterprise Monitoring Server. AKA NEMS. NEMS Linux now, because I got the .com. Oh. I wanted the .com, so I had to find a name that was usable. Right. And I went with NEMS Linux. So if you ever that doubt works. that we love Raspberry Pi, first of all, I designed and built PlexPi. I designed and built NEMS Linux. I'm 
constantly creating projects for the Raspberry Pi community. We've done some other things that we'll talk about. But nemslinux.com, check it out. That is an enterprise-level monitoring system. So if you head over to nemslinux.com, it's a free distro that you can install on your Raspberry Pi 3. And how are we doing here? So we've got 220-some-odd Raspberry Pi 3s that are running it right now, 244 users that are actively checking in every day, um, and it shows a little bit of stats here. But essentially what NEMS Linux is, is, well, if you're familiar with Nagios, it is a monitoring system for your network. So through this, you can tell if something's wrong with one of your computers on your network. You can tell if there's something going on with, um, like if there's a problem. So if a server is failing or a hard drive is failing, here we've got a sample that C drive space is low on the Windows server. So it set off an alarm. And what's neat about it is that it'll send out email notifications. It will bring them up in your browser. If you're looking at the interface, NEMS Linux is a free tool to turn your Raspberry Pi 3 into a network monitoring system. Mm-hmm. You may wonder, okay, well, I've only got three computers on my network. So what good is that to me? You can set it up to also monitor mom and dad's place. And oh. you can set it up to monitor your customers on their site, you can set it up so that from one central Raspberry Pi, you can be connecting out through the internet and checking stats on various hardware that's on the internet. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. And then you can use it also to monitor your website, see if your website is getting a high ping or if it's down, and it will notify you in those situations. You can even monitor things like a Minecraft server, and if, if it's getting to be you know, too high of CPU usage, it will warn you, things like that. Uh, It'll tell you how many players are playing on your map. And there is a limitless amount of stuff that you can do with a NEMS Linux server. It's incredible. So if you would like to check out our coverage on NEMS Linux, of course, go to our website, category5.tv, and do a search for NEMS, uh, N-E-M-S, and the reason that I would say to search for it is because over time, we're going to be doing a lot more features with NEMS because it is getting very, very popular. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got some things that I'd love to tell you right now tonight, but I can't. <gasps> Secrets! It's kind of embargoed. Like, there are some announcements coming out in the next two weeks really? that are, are huge for us. Okay. So NEMS Linux is about to take off. Buy stocks, folks. Buy stocks. (laughs) And and that's an exciting thing. Um, So I say do a search for NEMS on our website because you're going to find more content than we have there right now. So changing that up in the top here, category5.tv slash shows slash technology slash episode. And the NEMS feature that we did, Jeff, if you remember, it was 478. So if you just change that to 478, it should take us to Nagios Enterprise Monitoring on a Raspberry Pi 3. And that's going to start the uh, the episode with us. Cool. Wow, we were good looking then. We're good looking now. Just look at that. <laughs> We've got a better camera now. I we know. Kind of, we were kind of stretched out of out of shape there. A little bit. Uh, this is the 4K camera that we are uh, saving up to purchase. So uh, buy a T-shirt, buy a sweatshirt. That'll help us to do that. Um, other projects that you can think of, Jeff, that we could do with a Raspberry Pi or that we have done with a Raspberry Pi. Well, there's lots we've done, but one that's on my, uh, you know, pie bucket list, so to speak. Mm. And I have some of the components at home, 
uh, is to create a Pi um, video game system. Oh. Not not for your TV, but old school with the like an arcade. Yeah, like an ar- nice. arcade joystick, yeah. the buttons. So like I've like a main o- box or yes. So yeah. I've ordered the buttons and the joysticks. Nice. And so I have those. Beautiful. I just haven't built the case for it to go in. And I don't want right. a tabletop. I want a stand. A full size? I want a full size. Has so, your wife told you you need to put this in the garage? <laughs> no, not yet. Oh, I, boy. I'm slowly clearing a spot out where it's like, <laughs> oh, what are we going to do with this corner of this room? I just don't know. Uh, sweetheart, the uh, the china cabinet, I don't know. It just exploded. Do you really need a kitchen table? <laughs> So that's on my list. Definitely. And we've looked at some of the gaming potential in the Raspberry Pi 3. We set up RetroPie. Yes. And what that is, is it allows you to use, now in our demonstration, we used PlayStation 3 controllers. Yes. They're Bluetooth. Yep. The PlayStation 3 uses Bluetooth to communicate with its controllers. So you get some controllers for a PlayStation 3, and you can connect it wirelessly to Bluetooth on your Raspberry Pi. It's built in. And what was great about that is there was a bunch of different gaming systems on the RetroPie. Yeah, like Nintendo Entertainment System, Super Nintendo, uh, PlayStation, Atari Atari 2600. Yes. Like, totally retro here. Absolutely. Um, And and the PlayStation, the original PlayStation 1, um, which the games are actually quite good. Like, if you Mm -hmm. want to play some original Tomb Raider, they're there. Um, That's cool. And using the, uh, the PlayStation controller did not hamper the gaming at all. I mean, you've well, got so many buttons. Well, yeah, because you can configure within the settings for each system the buttons. So when you think of the Nintendo controller, you've got the A, B, up, down, left, right. That's it. When you go to the PlayStation 3 controller, you've got buttons everywhere. But it still works. And that's oh, the yeah. great thing about RetroPie. The foo is like, Spy Hunter! <laughs> I want Spy Hunter! And instantly, just like lamb chops, I'm going, ding, ding. <laughs> you know it. I do know it. Oh, I retro gaming for it. the win. Okay. How many arcade days did I spend playing Spy Hunter? Question is, how much uh, did you lose in quarters? You don't want to know. I've mentioned this on the show. No, not quarters. Oh, I was an idiot child. Oh, no. My back before we had Bitcoin, parents would invest in collectible coins for their children. Oh no, 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 no. And I was young and naive, and I didn't know the difference between a coin whose cover value was one dollar, but actual value was three thousand. Oh, Robbie. And I. I think I made the arcade very happy, but they weren't honest, honest enough to say, oh, no, 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 we can't take that. Don't, don't bring oh. that here. No, instead they cashed those silver dollars and turned them into quarters for me. Oh, this tokens. one hurts. Yeah. It hurts to hear. Okay, so as we talk about RetroPie, again, yep. you can search our website. You're going to find more content there. Uh, but the the key episode was 442 so Mm -hmm. if you change that address bar head on over to episode number 442 build your own retro gaming console with raspberry pi 
Love that episode. We've got so much great content on our website, folks. Oh, like yeah. this, this is a little bit of a like throwback to some of the things that we do here uh, over the course of eleven seasons. But a good re- refresher for you to say, hey, I'm getting into Raspberry Pi. I'd love to buy one, especially now that the Pi 3 B Plus is out. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can I do with it? We've got a lot of great content for you. Yep. Retro gaming is definitely one of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I know Sasha's got one and her and Dave Absolutely. all the time. So. Yeah. They've got it hooked up to a 60-inch 4K TV. I never played Mario and they're playing, that big. They're playing, yeah, like Mario Kart and yes. you know things like that. That's Probably awesome. Probably Spy Hunter. Yeah. Now, uh, we also did a personal web server yeah. on a couple different episodes. Sure we did. So that was going back 428-ish, something like that. So think about um, web hosting yes. and needing to have a web server to put a website on. Well, you can actually turn a Raspberry Pi 3 or even a, a, a an earlier generation Raspberry Pi into a LAMP stack or a Linux Apache MySQL PHP web server. Mm-hmm. You just plug this in. And now with um, the capability of doing power over Ethernet, it becomes even better. Because you just plug it into the network, open up the port and the firewall, um, make sure you change your default password, and then you're up and going. Yep. Uh, okay, so which episode was that, Jeff? Uh, 428. Uh, there was also 433, but ultimately episode 440 was like... Okay, so let's look at what the difference is here. So 428, Raspberry Pi as a development web server, part one. What did we look like back then? Oh, look my goodness, you had hair. We were just children. And I, I was spiky head. Nice. Uh, okay, so 448, and what was the next one? Uh, four, that, was, that was 2015. Wow. 433 was 33. the next one. So that would probably be part two yep. of our feature about a development web server. Oh, it's Kelsey. Oh, I miss Kelsey. You turned into Kelsey. <laughs> yeah, we haven't seen her in ages. I know. Yeah, nice. Okay. And the last and one was 440. So 440 is the cat's pajamas. Head on over there. The cat's pajamas? That's it. I Wow. Okay. Raspberry Pi lamp stack in 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Look at that. This is 440. And we've got Shelly there. Oh, nice. So you can build a Raspberry Pi lamp stack in 30 minutes. What? That's quick. Yeah. That's it's the other thing that's how... neat about the Raspberry Pi, isn't it? Yeah, it's super quick. Quick stuff. And I do love that. It's just get it up and going. A big part of that, Jeff, is projects like your Cplex Pi, right? What have we done? We've created the project. We've given it to you as an image. So then you just burn it to your card, mm-hmm. stick it in there. And turn it on. Yeah, and you're, you're done. So you, you're really up and going really quick. Now, with a Raspberry Pi lamp stack, instead what we did is showed you how to use um, Debian or Raspbian and then build the packages on top of that yes. to build that lamp stack or Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP web server and run it on this. And I've got Raspberry Pis that have been running 24-7 since that date and still running great. Oh, yeah. No problem whatsoever. Yeah, very, very... No moving parts. Very efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else can we do? We did a music server. Oh, yeah. Sasha was that, talking about that recently. That we was reminiscing a while that. ago. That was uh, back episode 414, 416, and 425. A three-part series. So we're talking about Volumio. 
Yes. So you take your Raspberry Pi 3 and you boot up Volumio. And what it becomes is your very own music server. So think about Spotify in the palm of your hands. Mm-hmm. So you get your own library, kind of like how we've done Plex with video. Volumio becomes that for audio specifically. But it's designed specifically for that with the interface for that. So you can access it on your phone and switch through your music, put on your playlist. Um, in Sasha's case, she's using a Raspberry Pi 3 hooked up to the PA system at, the, at her work. Okay. And from her computer, she accesses it and programs the playlist of all the music that they want to play and then put it on shuffle. So they now have, so they just import their music as MP3s from CD or from iTunes or whatever it is that they use and pop it on there. And then they can stream their music to the speakers in the the clinic. That's awesome. Works a treat. Um, So, okay, those numbers? Uh, 414. 414. Yep. Let's see what it tells us. And this is one of those series where we actually went on site to talk about it too. So there's Sasha. And uh, so this was getting us started. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then 416. 416. So we skipped a week. And then 416. Let's see where we were. So this is Raspberry Pi Music Server Part 2. And I. Th- you know, it could be a quicker project. There we are again. But I think because of the way that we had set it up, we really wanted to walk you through all the various steps, show you how it's done. Yes. Um, so we took you all through it. There's Volumio running on a Raspberry Pi. And what was the third and final episode to that series? 425. 425. Yeah. And that is part three, that was simply the said. Crescendo of the music server. There you go. What does this one look like? Oh, Hillary. Okay, so where do we go from here? All right, we actually went on site to see Sasha connecting this thing to the PA system and learned all about how she's using it, how she's got it set up. We went out into the, uh, to the front desk area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was around Christmas time as she's setting this up. There's Sarah, one of our friends. And so you definitely want to check that out learn all about Volumio and using the Raspberry Pi as a music server. Yep. And some people will say, okay, well, how do you hook up the audio? So it's got HDMI output. Yep. If you connect it to a TV, it's going to send the audio out to the TV. So typically, I use these things headless. I never put a monitor on them. Right. Um, you may want to in some cases, but for Volumio, I use the, um, the eighth inch output, the uh, 3.5 millimeter um, headphone jack, and that goes to an RCA splitter into the amp or whatever it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You can also buy a hat that gives you um, lossless audio. It's got optical audio output or oh, RCA okay. audio output. If you're more of a hi-fi um, fan, then that's something that you can do if you really want to step things up. I think it's called Hi-Fi Berry. Hi-Fi Berry? Yeah, you just do a, a quick search for Hi-Fi Berry. And this is the, the audio file component that you can add to your Raspberry Pi. And it, it gives you that really good theatrical sound. Hmm. So now your Raspberry Pi is not just using the, the headphone jack output this bad boy gives you everything else. That looks like an amp module. It does, yeah. DSP board, uh, digital outs. Beautiful. 
That's cool. There's a bunch of different ones that they carry. I didn't you can know also, about this. Yeah, you can find them on Amazon. Uh, what hardware do they do they have here on their site? Nice. Nice. Wow. There are various different types of these kinds of hats that are available for you. That's one of the neat things about Raspberry Pi 2 is that, and I'm gonna, you're going to catch me all the times I say, here's one of the neat things about Raspberry Pi, because there's a lot of great stuff about it. And yes. that's, again, one of the reasons that it's so popular. It's expandable. You can mm -hmm. add more components and make it better, make it do things more specifically for your project. The circuit board is literally just that. It's the computer. It's, yeah, it's the brain. very minimal footprint. Yeah, and then you can do anything else just by connecting other things to it. I know I've spent time like just searching the Internet, looking at Pi projects, and there's one I, I saw I thought it was so neat, and it's uh, you take um, a, a mirror. Oh, yeah. And you... Um, or sorry, a TV screen, and you dismantle your TV, and so um, you ha you can have a screen on your mirror. I'm gonna take a little 19-inch screen or something, put it yeah. behind your mirror with your pie, so that when you get up in the morning uh, using the touch screen, you, it could tell you the weather and all oh, that kind beautiful. of stuff. It it was a great project, and I'm like, oh, I love this thing, and uh, yeah, yeah, you've got it right there. See, like you could do that with a pie. That's a Raspberry Pi-powered smart mirror. I think that's so cool. Some people are, are you know, these guys are brilliant. Um, people are always coming up with new ways to use the Raspberry Pi to do yes. really amazing things. I, and I love that one. I think that's so neat. It's oh, something yeah. I've wanted to build. I uh, just haven't had the Such time cool to project. put into it. <laughs> and you'd have to be a, a pretty good uh, handy person to do that kind yes. of project. I think. You are. I'm yeah. not. So I tend to focus on software right. because that's my forte. Uh, hardware, I'm just kind of learning how to get into that. Um, so I've started by learning to solder. And, you know, some people have seen my soldering tutorial videos and said, that's not how you solder. <laughs> Look, I'm learning. I'm just, I'm a noob and it's okay. That's right. And so this is my first actual, like, completed kit project. Okay. Okay. So this is not a Raspberry Pi. This is a component that you can use connected to a Raspberry Pi. And it's... Basically, um, have you ever had your internet freeze up? Yes. What do you do when your internet freeze up? You unplug Freezes. the router or the you modem. The, you unplug the what? The modem. The modem. Why do you do that? Well, to put it through a boot cycle. And then does it come right back up? Uh, well, it's 60 seconds to boot up typically. Yeah. And then everything works, yeah. right? Usually. So what if you're not home? What if you're on the road and you're internet goes down and you know that oh if only i could just unplug the power from my modem for just 30 seconds but i don't think you could do that wouldn't that be nice though that right? would be, You'd nice. be kicking yourself saying oh i'm at the hotel in toronto and i can't access my server yeah that stinks uh, so what this device is that i that i designed and built um, and it's very simple this plugs into the usb on my router yep okay because routers these days often have a USB port for yes. external storage or programming or whatever. So I plug this into the USB on the router. My modem power adapter goes into the, um, the barrel um, input here. Okay. And then I've got a matching barrel cable that goes into the modem. So this works in between okay. yep. the modem's power cable and the modem itself. Yes. This goes into my router. Now, I've written a program for my router. It's a micro tick, so you can script it, um, that says 
if the internet goes down, wait, and it waits for about three minutes. If it still is down, and it tries again periodically through those three minutes, if it's still down after three minutes, power cycle the modem. No way! Yeah. So it actually kills the power. It's got a relay in here. Yep. So the 5 volt gets a signal, and the relay trips, turns off the 12 volt, and then turns it back on after 30 seconds. Nice. Then, then it tests again, and it sees if the internet is back up and running. Oh. So it's basically the, the next best thing to be in there. It power cycles. So this is my first design and build. I built. I designed it from, from like, myself. Yeah. I, I didn't use any schematics or anything. I made it myself and, uh, and designed it and built it and coded it. That's neat. So cool. So, but I was thinking about how this is just a 5-volt trigger yeah. from my router. Okay. This could go into the USB of a Raspberry Pi, and I could do any yes. number of things with it. That's right? right. Or instead of going USB, I could take the, the, the two contacts, the leads, and go to the GPIO of my Raspberry Pi. Okay. Because there's this massive GPIO here. Let's get a little bit closer there for you. So you see all these pins? Yep. I can, go, I can connect into these pins and be able to program what they do. So now all of a sudden... I can power cycle my modem, or I can turn on the lights, or I can do home automation. I can do all kinds of things powered by the Raspberry Pi and some kind of external <laughs> relay system that's, you know, even a novice can build, right? That's cool. Yeah, so there, there's no end to the projects. So you can go full blown, like, home alone. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, half of the TV going off. Yeah. Your dancing mannequins. Thrower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. That's great. Should we jump into, um, if that's, that kind of covers some of the projects that we've yeah, done here. Yeah. Let's get into some viewer questions that have been submitted. Oh, yes. About the Raspberry Pi. Um, okay. And before we jump right into them, so we've got your questions. Thank you for sending them in. We do have to take a really quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to answer as best we can the questions that have been submitted to us about the Raspberry Pi. Stick around. For a limited time, get your hands on limited edition shirts from the Category 5 TV network. These high-quality shirts are manufactured by Teespring, a fundraising website, and your purchase will help support the shows we produce. Get yours today and send us your pictures to be featured on the corresponding show. Visit cat5.tv shirts to support us and get your official network shirt today. cat5.tv shirts. Welcome back. This is Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 547. So nice to have you here. And tonight, as we celebrate Pi Week, we're calling it, uh, but Pi Day was Wednesday, 314, and uh, we are celebrating with a feature about the Raspberry Pi. And uh, so we're about to get into your viewer questions that have been submitted over the past uh, week or so. Um, should we just jump right into it? Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so Rob Gore says... Hey, Rob Gore. Hi, Robbie. Hello. Uh, I love the episodes on setting up Plex on the Raspberry Pi. Could you go through the process of setting the Pi up so that it can access the media from a server like FreeNAS, Unraid, etc.? Ah, okay. So this is something... I don't have a server, per se, here at the studio. 
Um, I take our files off site and they're backed up, up off site. Um, so I don't have any NAS shares or anything like that that I can demonstrate with. But okay. I will tell you, here's where things get exciting with Raspberry Pi, with Plex Pi, and with these kinds of things. Is that we don't have to think of it in terms, Rob Gore, as how do we connect to the NAS with Plex Pi? How do we connect to the NAS with NEMS? How do we connect to the NAS with... Back up a moment and just think about the base of PlexPy and NEMS and Raspbian and all these things, what are they at their heart? They're Linux. Right. Right? So the question becomes, how do we connect to a Samba share or CIFS on Linux? And as soon as we understand that, now we're able to do that on PlexPy. We're able to do that on NEMS. The knowledge supersedes, it blankets all of those distros because they are all Linux. Right. So I'm going to point you to um, CIFS-utils. That used to be Samba, but now it's CIFS. Um, that connects, that's the the Fuse, I believe it's Fuse, but uh, whatever, it, it connects to Samba shares, network sharing on your network. And it allows you to set up FS tab entries, which is your file system table, that allows you to have those things automatically boot when you turn on your computer or when you turn on your Pi, and you're going to have instant access to it. Let's jump over to our website, category5.tv, and do a quick search for FS tab. Uh, I'm going to try mount CIFS. Let's just see if that brings us any results here, Rob Gore. Making your website faster with cloud-based JavaScript hosting. That doesn't sound right. Okay, so let's try CIFS. Resolving host names, tracking your projects, making your website faster. I wonder if we talked about it in that episode. That's why it's come up twice. All right, and if we're not seeing results for that, let's try FS Tab Samba. No luck. See, I know that we've covered it, Rob Gore, and this is where I, I kind of tongue-in-cheek say, as long as we remember to tag the episode with this particular <laughs> thing. And maybe that's why that one episode is coming up. Maybe we did talk about it, and so we tagged it in the, in the keywords. I'm going to head over instead to my, my blog, which is baldnerd.com, and try the search there. Same search. Um, CIFS FS tab. Oh, I got an extraneous space in there, but let's see. FS tab. Let's just do that automatically deduplicating data, add a drive to Linux and encrypt it, back up a Linux machine with LVM, Plex Media Server on Raspberry Pi 3, make it so mount point can't be written if it's not mounted. Boy, oh boy. Do we move over to Google? I know that I've covered all this stuff. Just where? Yeah, where did I put it? In our cloud of FS tab. Um, well, let's try Samba. One last shot. No Nothing. thing found. So instead, try CIFS-utils FS tab is what I'm going to search for. Wiki.ubuntu.com. Sounds trustworthy. So here you go. Mount Windows shares permanently. And this takes you through. So what we need to do, as I mentioned, you need to install CIFS-utils. Okay. 
ignore the on older system. Nobody installs SMBFS anymore. Uh, and then mounting. So then edit your FS tab file and put this in there. Now there's a couple of things that I would also add. Let's see if they include it. So it, their first example is a little bit vague. So a little bit of research and you'll be able to, to find what you need. But that should get you up and going. Here's, this one looks a little nicer. Uh, yeah. So I, I think if anything, I'm, I'm realizing maybe that's something I should do a feature on. And mm -hmm. I'd be happy to. But this, this will give you what you need to, to get in order to do that. So CIFS utils, FS tab, those are your queries. Those are the things that you need to do. So essentially with CIFS, you're able to mount NAS shares on Linux, and FS tab does it every time you boot. Right. But what we want to do is we want to set it up with things like um, so that it knows that it's a network share and so that it knows um, not to halt your system if it's not connected on boot, those kinds of things. So I was sure that I did a, a feature. It's out there somewhere. But <laughs> if anyone knows or if anyone has been binging Category 5 and has found it, please let me know the episode. That would yep. be great. Thanks, Rob Gore. It's nice to, nice to hear from you. Uh, okay, Orange Man writes, Hey, Orange Man. Dear Robbie, I've got PlexPy to work, and the only thing is that when I try to access the Plex interface through my PC in another room, I open Firefox and enter the address http colon front slash 127.0.0.1 colon 32400 front slash web front slash index.html, but it didn't work. Mm -hmm. What am I doing wrong? Okay. And, well, P.S., it badly buffers on some films, which makes it difficult to watch. Why does it do this with some videos and not others? Uh, first thing I would look at is the codec that's used in those videos. Uh, for example, H.265 um, requires a lot of CPU in order to decode. So make sure your videos are H.264. That will probably, most likely, will be the issue. Um, otherwise, if it's a massive file, like 4K... 120 frames a second it's got to transcode it and it's not yeah. a these are not that powerful you, you can understand that so you may need to change those files as far as the formatting goes h.264 is probably better for you than h.265 for sure um, back to your first comment Okay, so we've got PlexPy up and going on our Pi. We're trying to access it by going to http colon slash slash 127.0.0.1 colon 32400 slash web. Yep. So the address is correct only if you are sitting at your Raspberry Pi. Why? Any guesses? Um, no clue. 127 .0 .0 .1. Oh, the IP address. The IP address. Right. 127.0.0.1 is localhost. Yes. On any computer, that IP address will refer back to itself. So if you are trying to connect to this system from my laptop, and on my laptop I type 127.0.0.1, my laptop will try to connect to my laptop, mm -hmm. not to the Pi. So what you need is the internal IP address of the Pi. Easiest way to find that is probably log into your router, look at the DHCP pool and all of the active devices, and you'll see one called PlexPi, and that is the entry in your DHCP server, and it will give you the IP address there in your router. Now, most routers have the default of 192.168.0. and then something. Dot something. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, 
you're probably going to be in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's why. Now, so, if you're accessing your Plex Pi from outside your network, though... Well, that's a whole different thing. Let's, yes. not, let's not confuse things, so, Jeff. So, no, don't do it. Yeah. Don't, don't even try so that do this just within yet. the network, not outside Get the network. Get started in the LAN. Yes. Understand that first, and yeah. then... We'll talk about the rest, okay? Yeah. Because then we're getting into a whole other can of worms and port forwarding and everything else. We don't want to get into that tonight uh, for Orange Man. So, Orange Man, find the IP address of this. If you can't find it in your router, bring PlexPi up on the screen on this system. So, plug a keyboard and mouse and monitor into this. Turn it on. uh, and, And Ethernet. Turn it on. And then press Alt F4 once you see Plex. That will bring you to the desktop. Then bring up the terminal and type IP space A enter. That will show you the IP address of this device. Look for something like 192.168.something.something and that's most likely your IP address. It will say IP uh, IPv4 hopefully um, and hopefully you'll be able to track that down. Yep. Let us know, okay? Give us an update. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have a question from Karsten. says, inspired by you, I've Jeez, just Karsten. bought a Pi 3, installed the PlexPi server. So far, so good. However, when logging in, a notification appears that an update is now available. Version 1.12.0.4829. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> my multi-million dollar question is, how do I get to upgrade my Plex as I have made the Lazy Dot installation? Hope to hear from you soon. Greetings from Denmark. Nice. Thanks, Karsten. Um, okay, so million-dollar question. Does that mean if I answer this to any effort that I will get a million dollars? I hope so. Because we would really like that fiber internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think, let's see. So when logging in, okay, so the, the, what is happening here is that Plex updates their own software. And this is really something you don't really have to worry about. You can ignore that for now because PlexPi is still young. Mm-hmm. Okay, So remember that. PlexPi is version 1.2 at the time of this broadcast. <clears throat> so I'm doing my best to simplify the process. One of the things I will be simplifying, Karsten, is the update process. Some people have gotten into the terminal and done a dist upgrade and everything else and broken their PlexPi and then emailed me and said, why is my PlexPi not working now? I would... Probably, I would just suggest that for the time being, just hang tight because I'm updating it for you. Uh, I'm doing those updates and then releasing version 1.3 and inevitably will be releasing software that will auto-update the system for you. So what it is is that Plex has brought out a new version. That's the software that we use to operate PlexPi. And then they've displayed within their interface, there's an update available. Well, it's a little complicated because you can't download that update and install it because right. PlexPi is a whole different can of worms. Right. It's built to be an out-of-the-box experience. So it's up to me now to now take that out-of-the-box uh, out experience and make it so that it will auto-update mm-hmm. by itself without you having to intervene and without breaking things. <laughs> That's key. Yes. So you can ignore those upgrades at the moment. And, you know, I say that only with the stipulation that I know I'm working to update them for you. Um, so you don't have to worry about falling years behind. It's not going to happen unless I get hit by a bus. Don't do that. Uh, I will try my best not to. Um, but your million-dollar um, donation today for my answer <laughs> will help pay for my medical bills. So I should make it out okay and should be able to update that for you. Yeah. 
Uh, but appreciate the question. Uh, can we backtrack a little bit to Rob Gore? Sure. Okay. Did I miss something? Uh, well, actually, the chat room has helped us out. Oh, yeah? You asked, does anybody remember when we covered the oh, CFIS bless. question? Yeah. And Solbu Sol has Boo. come to the rescue right, and said, try episode 407 because you answered the CIFS question on that episode. Bless. Okay. Episode 407 was viewer question extravaganza. Our viewers have supplied us with a plethora of questions and some great comments with topics like... NFS and Samba CIFS. <laughs> Thank you, Solbu. Nice. Okay, episode 407, Rob Gore. There you go. Solbu and community, thank you very much. See? Who needs to have a search on the website when you have a chat room? I know. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do we have time for one more um, question? I think, you know, we've got news still to cover. Oh, right. And so if you... Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm so used to Sasha doing it. I but know, she's right? not here. I um, about that. So if you sent in a question, we haven't been able to cover it yet. Please know we will come back to you next week. And please keep the questions coming. Don't forget T-shirts. Go to uh, uh, cat5.tv slash shirts. I'm going to say that just leading into the news. And send us that million dollars. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> um, I'll donate 10 points to charity. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, we'll upgrade a few things around here. We'll finally, good. We'll finally pay for that camera that B&H has been so good to oh, let us use. Bless beautiful them. camera. Oh, yeah. Have you guys been enjoying this camera? And we really see the difference when we put Sasha oh, back yeah. on the old camera. Back and forth between the two cameras. It's, it's amazing. So. Yeah. All right. You ready to do the news? I am ready to do All right, the news. Sir. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5 Talk TV It's okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> you could have figured it out. You know where we are. Uh, yeah, I know where we are. I have a lot of buttons to push. Do you guys see all this stuff in front of me? <laughs> now he wants me to start pushing buttons on this? I'm used to the remote. I know, right? You, you've gotten rid of the remote since yeah. I gave up the news. All right. No, okay. All right. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Elon Musk, a man prone to ludicrous deadlines, has birthed yet another. Test flights of his Mars spaceship next year. A drone owner has been charged with starting a fire that destroyed 300 acres of grassland in Arizona's Coconino National Forest. A new study shows that less than half of ransomware targets who pay actually get their files back. And ransomware for robots is the next big security nightmare. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. Whether you shop on ThinkGeek, GearBest, B&H Photo Video, eBay, or Amazon, or even if you want a free trial of Audible, you'll find the best deals and support the shows we produce by simply visiting the shopping sites you already frequent by using the links on our website. Visit category5.tv slash partners for the full and ever-growing list and help us create more free content like this show. Thank you for shopping with our partners and thank you for watching. This is the Category5.tv newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Jeff Weston, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Elon Musk, a man prone to ludicrous deadlines, has birthed yet another idea. Test flights of his Mars spaceship next year. He told an audience at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, I think we'll be able to do short flights up and down sometime in the first half of next year. 
He put a dark spin on it, though, saying that it's vital that humans reach the Red Planet before the next world war, and saying that a Mars colony would reduce the chance of an extended new Dark Age if a nuclear conflict were to wipe out life on Earth. But we'd rather keep things optimistic, so enough about that. After a string of failed rockets and near bankruptcy, SpaceX wowed the world with its Falcon Heavy flight in February. A highlights reel of the event, soundtrack to David Bowie's life on Mars, was shown to attendees at the festival. The ultimate goal of the mission, of course, is a Mars colony. At the event, Musk painted a picture of what he felt such a society would need to look like in order to be a success. He said he was excited about the potential for launching new industries from a completely fresh starting point. Mars will need pizza joints, and one day people will need a Mars bar. He said, congratulating, congratulating himself on the dad joke. <laughs> Regardless of our individual opinions of Elon Musk, the prevailing mood here is that he is a visionary of the highest order. And if he doesn't try to get us to Mars, who will? Hmm. I like this idea. Of going to Mars? I, I do. <clears throat> it's, it's something that we've never done. I mean, we've talked about... Yeah, how many I, things can you say that about? I know. I mean, we've reached a time in, in our society, in our global everything where we just i feel like we've done everything yeah you know we're reinventing the wheel on some things but it's but have we got lte internet on the moon uh no that's next year oh okay yeah that, that, and that, apparently <laughs> test flights for <laughs> that is Mars. next year but i mean the question for this one becomes is it going to take the six months to get there is elon going to have some mm. faster process for for getting to mars yeah you know i know he's been working um tirelessly w at building new forms of propulsion and, yes. and things like this. So where that's going to take us, I guess next year we'll know when he starts the test flights. I guess that's when we're going to really know what they've accomplished so far. Right. And I mean, with the payload size that the, uh, that his uh, Falcon Heavy X, I think that was what it was called, um, has, it won't be enough to set up a full colony. So you're going to have to probably send right. multiple you know, flights, oh, sure. I would think. Yeah. Plus well, SpaceX people. has reduced the cost of space travel. Absolutely. So and I mean, that's their goal. Are it's they going to send exploration multiple what... flights at the same time? And hey, mm -hmm. here's our people pod and here's all of our... Right. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, what happens if one of those yeah, ships doesn't ha make it? Exactly. They'd have to have fail-safes in place that, you know, each ship would have a certain number of people, a certain number of supplies, mm -hmm. so that if one didn't make it, people who did make it aren't without water for well, example or as long as you've got matt damon to poop on his <laughs> potatoes you're all right <laughs> is that real life uh, well that's what happened in the movie and oh okay i haven't yeah. seen it <laughs> but uh, scientists have said that that is probably the most realistic way of actually getting potatoes to grow on mars wow interesting jeff i know you <laughs> just kind of threw that in there folks so if you were wondering pooping on potatoes <laughs> is the way to go on Mars. <laughs> That's right. Wonderful. Okay. A drone owner has been charged with starting a fire that destroyed 300 acres of grassland in a national forest in Arizona. A drone reportedly caught on fire after it crashed, igniting dry grasses in an area called Kendrick Park near Flagstaff. About 30 firefighters were able to bring the blaze under control within a day. Now, if found guilty, the drone's owner could face a fine, community service, or even a jail sentence. While tackling the incident last week, firefighters preemptively set light to the grasslands surrounding a local landmark, the Chapel of the Holy Dove, to ensure that the small church was not threatened by the flames. 
Warnings were issued to drivers in the area as dense smoke from the fire made driving conditions difficult on roads through the Kendrick Park region. Now, while it is legal to fly a drone in the U.S. National Forest, there are strict regulations governing when and where they can be flown. Drones must not be flown in wilderness areas, nor over areas where wildfires are active. In 2017, helicopters helping to tackle fire in the very same forest were hampered by a drone taking pictures of the blaze. Hmm. Now, the pilot of that unmanned craft was not identified. And firefighting planes and helicopters helping to tackle seasonal fires in other regions have also been temporarily grounded for fear of a collision with a drone. Hmm. It's unfortunate that recreational drone use has um, come to this level where people are not aware that they're actually hampering, you know, emergency yeah. situations. Oh, yeah. Like, be smart if you're going to fly a drone. If there, I mean, I get, sure, it's great, cool footage to film a forest fire, but if you're preventing people from being able to put out that fire, that's not cool. Or if you're creating the fire. Well, that too. Now, <clears> I mean, in the case of, uh, of this drone flyer, it's not like he intended to crash and make it burn. Sure. So should we be setting up like a drone insurance industry? Well, I think that, so if we back up and think about, and I don't know the whole, you know, the details about who this flyer was, but first of all, his drone caught on fire. So right. that tells me it's probably gas propelled. Right. I would expect. It's not a battery powered drone. No. Um, and if that's the case, then this is a commercial flyer. Like this is not somebody that's just a hobbyist like me with his electric drones that right. you know I'm flying around over the trees and safely bringing them down and if they crash they get stuck in the branches and I cry because I just lost $600 in drone hardware right that's how it goes for me but so we must have it must be a consumer flyer uh, a commercial flyer or be serious enough about it that he's using it for commercial purposes I would expect like Unless you're just filthy, stinking rich and you own a really big, expensive gas-powered drone. Not anymore. But there are regulations and there are laws that say that if you are flying commercially, there are rules and, yes, you have to be insured. Okay. So if he was flying, if he was flying without insurance, that's an if, because I don't know, then, you know, who who is liable for that who pays for that who mm -hmm. pays for the damage yeah that's the question it'll be very interesting to see how that one plays out in mm -hmm. court i'd like to know more about who he is why obviously they they found him yes so he fessed up because the you know the other person who was flying a drone and hampering emergency services they never found them right because a drone can be kilometers away and again these are these are not your average consumer drones. These are right. these are big, heavy drones that can be flown from kilometers away mm -hmm. using 3D goggles and virtual reality. Yes, yeah, that's true. Hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that one shapes out. Mm -hmm. All right, in a shocking revelation, criminals proved to be untrustworthy. <gasps> a new study shows that less than half of ransomware targets who pay up actually get their files back. Paying off ransomware demand is a great way to end up losing both your money and your files. 
This according to a study from security company CyberEdge, which found that those hit by ransomware infection, the best bet is probably to just restore from a backup. The survey, based on a poll of information security professionals, found that less than half of those who pay a ransom uh, end up getting their data back. The report says that 55% of people who it surveyed reported a malware infection hitting their systems in 2017. Spain had the highest rate with 80% of respondents wow. reporting malware, followed by companies in China at 74% and Mexico at 71.9%. In the US, 53.8% of respondents were hit by ransomware, while slightly under half of those in the UK, 49.5% were hit. Overall, 72.4% of those who were infected with ransomware were able to get their data back. Most of those, however, were companies that simply ignored the ransom demands and restored their systems with uninfected backup copies. The study found that 86.9% of those who refused to pay the demand ended up recovering their data. Of those who caved to the demand and paid the ransom, 49.4% said they did recover their data, while 50.6% ended up losing it anyway. The not-so-shocking conclusion is that criminals don't always stay true to their word. Good to hear that so many folks have reliable, disconnected backups. Yes. This is one of the fears with and the dangers with ransomware is that it doesn't just encrypt the files on your server and your computers. It encrypts the files on your backup. That's right. So what happens if you don't have a backup? and you don't pay the ransom. Is there a third option? Like, or, is you there a, or you don't have a backup, you pay the ransom as a last-ditch effort, and they don't come through? Yeah. It, like, is there another way to get this data back? That is a really, you know, my answer to that would be very iffy. Okay. It would be, but you might be surprised to know that my answer would be maybe. Okay. Perhaps. Perhaps there's Do another tell. option. Um, because what happens with these, with these types of things ransomware and 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 things um the the, there are often master keys Mm -hmm. these are keys that the hackers create in order to be able to recover the files and once those master keys are deciphered by security engineers tools are released that help people to recover their files using the master key okay so eset is one of those companies that has worked really hard um to release tools to decrypt files. Um, and there are, there are actually a number of security research companies, security um, like um, anti-malware companies that have worked together to create repositories of their tools oh, so okay. that people who are infected with particular types of ransomware infections can recover their files. Right. So again, it's not a guaranteed you're going to get your data back if you run this free program. It doesn't work that way. But to know that there are people and companies out there that are working hard to combat um, this issue is is a really encouraging thing. Uh, and I'll actually show you the website. It's um, I believe it was no more ransom dot org. No more ransom dot org. Uh, no more. Ransom.org. I must have mistyped it, but it redirected anyways. Um, So here we are, nomoreransom.org. And you see that there are a ton of folks that are involved in this. Um, You've got, you know, the main associate partners, um, Bitdefender, Trend Micro is a big contributor, Avast. Uh, We've got 
law enforcement agencies that work with them, uh, other partners, which is where we find ESET, for example, who have contributed some code, um, and they also distribute their own tools. So here's what we do. So decryption tools. Now, there's other great <clears throat> information here, so check it out. But go into decryption tools, and you can find all these different ransomware decryptors, right? So these are all ransom, ransomware viruses or malware. So if I'm, for example, infected with the crisis ransomware, <clears throat> there are two tools, one of them from Kaspersky Lab and one of them from Trend Micro. Mm -hmm. And these two tools are designed <clears throat> specifically to decrypt the files that are encrypted using that particular malware. So if you're fortunate, yeah, there may be a way to recover those files, even if you don't have a backup and even if you don't have, um, if you haven't been able to recover them by paying right. the ransom. But that is not a fail safe. That is not a reason no. to not protect yourself. That is a last ditch effort of security engineers to help you. The fact is you need to have a good backup. You have yes. to have a backup that is disconnected from anything that this kind of infection can touch. So air-gapped, unplugged, taken home, rotated every week, and never touching the network while ransomware is a thing. Yes. Okay. Researchers have found that they were able to infect robots with ransomware. In the real world, such attacks would be highly damaging to businesses if robotic security isn't addressed. Ransomware has long been a headache for PC and smartphone users, but in the future, it could be robots that stop working unless a ransom is paid. Researchers at the security company IO Active have shown how they managed to hack the humanoid NAO robot by SoftBank and infected one with custom-built ransomware. The researchers said the same attack would work on the Pepper robot as well. After the infection, the robot is shown insulting the, its audience and demanding to be fed Bitcoin cryptocurrency in order to restore systems back to normal. Now, while a tiny robot making threats might initially sound amusing, if a little bit creepy, the proof of concept attack demonstrates the risks associated with lack of security in robots and how organizations that employ robots could suddenly see parts of their business grind to a halt should they become a victim of ransomware. Cesar Sirodo, CTO at IO Inactive Labs, said in order to get a business ownership to pay a ransom to a hacker, you could make robots stop working. And because the robots are directly tied to production and services, when they stop working, they'll cause a financial problem for the owner, losing money every second that they're not working. Now, taking uh, what was learned in previous studies into security vulnerabilities of robots, researchers were able to inject the right code in Pepper and NAO robots to, make, to take complete control of the systems, giving them the option to shut the robot down or modify its actions. The researchers said it was possible for an attacker with access to the Wi-Fi network the robot is running on to infect malicious code in, into the machine. Unlike computers, robots don't yet store vast amounts of vulnerable information that the user might be willing to pay a ransom to retrieve. But, as companies often don't use backups to resource systems from, if a robot becomes infected with ransomware, it's also impossible for the user to restore it uh, to normal by themselves. So, if we have the ability to have our robots hacked... You knew it was coming, guys. You knew it was coming. <laughs> Would it be done in the same way that they could be hacking autonomous cars? Hmm. Like, 
you know, I'm thinking like of Wi-Fi exploits and yeah, you know, and I'm obviously, Surely. you know, going to the Hollywood side of things. I'm thinking of the movie iRobot, mm-hmm. um, where you've got one mainframe that's running all the computers. If somebody found a way to hack, right? You know, like I think I think it was Pepper is running in a hospital. Mm-hmm. Was it Pep? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, could somebody hack that to hurt people potentially? Yeah, I guess they you know, could, right? Yeah. I mean, theoretically, they could. And but you know, they they're kind of the story says that you know your data is not a problem, but any device on your network is an entry point for attack. Right. So if a robot were an entry point for an attack, and now that robot is infected, that robot's on the same Wi-Fi as your server, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden the robot can use the code to go out into the server and start encrypting files there right i mean i'm thinking of production companies you know uh, so oh, many surely. so many auto Automobile. industries yeah. yeah they use robotics <clears throat> and i mean if if somebody hacked in there and say shut down an entire facility oh yeah i mean imagine the the productivity and the financial impact of shutting down a, an automaker for one day even or you could take it one dark step further and look at military Right. Right. Because military is working toward using robots more and more to carry heavy artillery and mm-hmm. carry um, even, uh, you know, the, the just essentials and things like that. So, you know, what would happen if their network of robots were debilitated by ransomware during, so, during, like during a war or something? So, like, what you're saying is that to bring this news to full loop, we go back to Elon Musk and we should just set up a Mars colony. It might be the next <laughs> the next step. It may be necessary. I don't know. What are your thoughts, folks? I mean, what what risks are there? And is there something that needs to be done? I, I think the answer is clearly yes. If these robots can be exploited in this way, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that more security has not... Got, like, I'm a little blown away right now that Pepper is vulnerable to ransomware. How is this possible? Does she run Windows? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, it is a, a great point because, I mean, we use robotics to assist us on a daily basis. And if you don't think about these things, it, it does become a problem. And, you know, with uh, Pepper being in a hospital, there is the potential for storing data of, you know, mm-hmm. somebody walks in. Or stealing data. Well, exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, you know, somebody walks in, they talk to the robot, say, here are my symptoms, and Pepper does a quick triage and send you over here or send you over there, mm-hmm. you know, if that's what it turns into. But all of that information is stored somewhere, and then because it would have to then go to patient files, you do have a storage issue. And a connection. That's There's right. a connection, obviously, to the central database. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, there's a lot of... P- potential problems that come with this and yeah. I, I would hope that developers of these robots are thinking about security minded uh, you know protections rather than just hey look at these cool things we can do yeah like I'm thinking of that, uh, about two weeks ago I think there was a YouTube video of a, of a robotic dog that opens doors yeah amazing amazing yeah, which is cool but what if that dog got hacked and it was used to pick locks and open doors now suddenly you've got a robot for oh, a Oh, no, you would just build a big, strong robot that just bashes doors down. Okay, so RoboCop. 
Exactly. <laughs> That's what it's coming to, folks. I think my concern is that more care hasn't been spent on the security thing. And we saw the same thing with automobiles. Yes. With, with hackable systems. How can we be bringing out technologies without understanding the underlying security? How can that not be our priority to make sure that, hey, if I'm bringing out robots that are Wi-Fi connected or we've heard about Bluetooth children's toys that can be hacked and compromised <laughs> yeah. from, you know, the the house next door. And, and you know, these are concerns. Children's, um, like baby monitors. Yes. Being hacked because... When we built this device, we thought only about the video quality and the stream and did not put any work into the security. How mm -hmm. is that possible? There needs to be some kind of, I, oh, I hate to say regulations. No, I don't want to say that. But who, there needs to be accountability. Absolutely. I think is, is what it boils down to. Hmm. A lot of things to think about. Comment below. Let us know what you think. That's right. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash, the Albuquerque Turkey, and our community viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Jeff Weston. Jeff, thank you so much. This is Category 5 Technology TV. I hope that you've enjoyed yourself tonight as we have celebrated Pi Day in the only yes. way that we know how which is to talk nonstop, incessantly for one hour about Raspberry Pi. It's true. I, I almost feel bad that I didn't bring like a Raspberry Pi to eat on the show. <laughs> Just would have been a nice, you know, focal point. <laughs> Speaking of didn't bring, you have a, a new Raspberry Pi that you've been working on. Yes. Okay. So there's time for more <clears throat> pie, folks. There's, there's always time for pie. There's always time. Uh, so... Leading into Christmas, I was looking at getting another uh, Raspberry Pi yeah. um, for the purpose of creating a... Uh, I was going to do um, uh, another RetroPie gaming system. Nice. Uh, because you can, only, you can never have Well, we've got one. it on the one TV, so I was going to put it on the other TV Brilliant. so that you know yeah. kids can play on both. You know, oh, yeah. I don't want to play Mario. I want to play, you know, whatever. So I was going to do it for that, and then I, because... It's a headless... I was going to be setting up uh, for a headless system potentially, but I'm like, okay, what if I want to be able to access it and for whatever reason, I can't get it to connect to my TV for visual purposes. And this right. has happened with my uh, other Pi because yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have a, an off-name brand TV downstairs I okay. picked up for, I think it was a 50-inch for like 98 bucks or something. Yeah. It was some special sale. And every once in a while, the video feed does not work from the Pi to the computer. And so, or for, to the TV. Right, so I okay. wanted to get a case that had a um, an LCD screen or LED, I believe, um, screen. Okay. And so the case I picked up was I think twenty five, thirty bucks on Amazon. Really? Oh, I gotta check this out. Um, I don't recall the name of it, but it was a Pi case with a screen. I just did a search for oh, Pi case right screen. There. The first one the I typed in literally Pi case screen. Yeah, that's the one I got right there. That's the it, eh? Three point five. Look at that. Yeah. Now it was on sale going into Christmas. I think I paid twenty five bucks for it uh, on his Amazon yeah, yeah. Prime, but it works really well. Simple to set up. Uh, so it pulls the video from GPIO. That's correct. And so you still can plug into the TV so at the same time. It, yeah, it is effectively a mini desktop. Huh. So now, I mean, it doesn't That's work. Cool. It doesn't work out of box. You need to install the drivers on sure. your Pi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it was great to work with, and it and it does. So come is with, it a mirror image of what you see on the TV? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And it's got a style. I mean, it's a, it's a small screen. Yeah. And we're talking the size of a pie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it does come with a stylus because I've got big meaty fingers mm. and the stylus makes it easy to move around sure. so I can operate the menu system without any issue. It's, cool. it's beautiful. So if you do have a headless pie um, and you're going, hey, th- sometimes I can't connect to it, can't figure out what's going on, whatever, this is a great option because you've got oh, your yeah. case, That's but you've smart. also got your screen. Very cool. So, Very yeah. Cool. Hope you've maybe gotten excited about Raspberry Pi tonight. Maybe some of the things that we've talked about or shared is, uh, you know, getting you excited about what you can do with a Raspberry Pi. And we have not even scratched the surface. Oh, not, not even. even. Not even close. Not even close. There's a reason I'm surrounded in Raspberry Pi. <laughs> They're amazing. Yep. Uh, don't forget, we've got our <clears throat> Teespring um, fundraiser going on right now. Mm-hmm. You can get a sweatshirt like I'm wearing tonight. You can get T-shirts. Um, head on over to cat5.tv slash shirts. And that's a great way that you can support Category 5 TV. Um, but also you get some swag at the same time. So then you're able to don those and show that you're a fan of the show. Send mm-hmm. us a picture and we will show it on air. And we'd appreciate your support. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Have a wonderful week. Yes. Can't believe it's time to go. But we'll- Yeah. Thanks for being here. But we'll here, be man. back next time. Sasha will be back as well. For those of you wondering, she That's is right. on her honeymoon. Um, so they waited until uh, until now to have the honeymoon. And, yes. And so they are, uh, they're traveling. And, Perfect uh, weather to we'll go someplace warm. Oh, yeah. That's That's right. I'm jealous of the snow. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Take care. See you.